0: Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson
1: is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. She was a rebel as a brunette, broke into Hollywood as a platinum blonde, but it was with a head of tango red hair and decades of hard work that she became one of the most powerful women in show business and a piece of America's heart. The N. Let's talk about Lucille Ball. But first, let's drop her into history.
0: In 1951, the U.N. headquarters in New York opened. It was the third year of the Emmy Awards. J. Edgar Hoover declined the position of baseball commissioner. The first color TV show and the first transcontinental TV broadcast were made. Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger was published. And Disney's Alice in Wonderland was released. Joseph Stalin, Harry Truman, and Winston Churchill were all in power. Chrissy Hyde, Sally Ride, and Angelica Houston were born. And on October 15, 1951, I Love Lucy, starring Lucille Ball, premiered. Lucille Desiree Ball was born on August 6, 1911, in her grandparents' apartment in Jamestown, New York. She was the first child of Henry and Desiree Ball. They called her Dee Dee. I thought that was cute.
1: But Mama was actually born with the name Desire Hunt, which is kind of problematic. I know that those attribute names were super popular in the Puritan era, you know, like temperance, hope, uh-huh. a felicity. That had a little bit of a resurgence. Still, Desire is a troublesome name, especially when you get to be a woman.
0: <laughs> it is indeed. I guess she Frenchified it to Desiree, which I guess if you went to France, it would still be Desire. but... Over in Jamestown, New York, I guess it looked, I don't know, upscale, classy.
1: <laughs> well, Papa was the grandson of a wealthy man. He had been jed-clampeted by a lovely little oil strike on his property. But unfortunately, Papa's own father had risked and squandered and sold off his portion, and sort of descended into what was a pretty new field. I guess descended is the wrong word, but he went into the new telephone industry. I guess that's pretty fancy still, Uh, (laughs) avant-garde, lucrative enough that Papa had followed his father both into that business and also out west to Missoula, Montana, where he was an electrician, a lineman for a telephone company.
0: Now, the amount of times these people go back and forth from Montana to New York, it kind of astonished me. They did it a lot, and it had to be quite a grueling trip. But on one of those trips back to Jamestown, 24-year-old Henry met 18-year-old Desiree, and within a year, the two were married.
1: Desiree's parents were also working people. Mr. Hunt was a woodworker at a furniture company, and Mrs. Hunt was the neighborhood midwife in an era when most people were still born at home. The newlyweds moved back to Montana
0: shortly after they were married, but by the next summer, they were headed back to Jamestown because Desiree
1: was pregnant. So baby Lucille was born in 1911, and I looked it up because I thought it was more common, but Lucille was only the 32nd most popular name in 1911. (laughs) Really? I did not realize it was
0: even on the list.
1: Well, Edith was on one side, and Clara was on the other side. Okay, in contrast, today, the 32nd, well, 2015, um, <laughs> Addison is number 32, which doesn't seem that common. But then again, I don't hang out with the preschool set anymore, so I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I know a uh, couple Addisons, yeah. You do? And then like on the other side of her is Hannah and Mackenzie, and those two, oh, yes, I have seen.
0: Wow, how the Hannahs have fallen. It wasn't that long ago that Hannah was near the top.
1: Yeah. Well, so her family did move back to Montana and Detroit. Telephone work, you kind of went where where the action was. It was a very up-and-coming, burgeoning industry. And so they lived there for a few years, and that seems regular. Little Lucille, saucy and talkative and so cute. You will not believe this photo I have on the Pinterest board. (laughs) With her giant bow on her little head. So cute. Um And when Lucille was about three and a half, though, her father contracted typhoid fever and came home to be nursed by his wife. Typhoid fever is not something to play with. And about a month later, a month of suffering, I have to tell you, it is not a good disease. The progression, which I looked up and you know what? We're not going to link you to because it's depressing. <laughs> um, it, it's horrifying. But what Lucille had the memory of, kind of like a She's little, you know, it was like an odd kind of kaleidoscope of images. A picture fell off the wall. Her mother was screaming. A bird got stuck in the house. And this last thing, the bird, upset her so badly, kind of all mixed in with all this just confusion and fear. And the grown ups are not able to be leaned upon, you know, in her life. Everybody's too upset. Grown up Lucy still used to have panic attacks if she saw a bird, even a statue of a bird or a bird pattern. Um, so her father's death as early as it was, left an imprint on her mind, as well as changing the course of her life from now on.
0: Lucy remembers screaming as his coffin was lowered into the ground.
1: Ugh. Mama moved back in with her parents and her younger sister, and five months later gave birth to her son, Lucille's brother, Fred, who, of course, never knew his father. Mama met a man named Ed Peterson about three years later while she was doing war work in a factory. This is World War I. And they married when Lucille was seven. But this guy, though, this guy, this guy, though, no kidding. He seemed to hate kids. Well, or the burden of kids. I can't get this. Like, he knew she had children. I think his thought was, well, there's grandparents. We can just start over and those people can just, you know, shift for themselves. I mean, he wouldn't really engage with them. He wouldn't let them call him. You know, dad or daddy or papa or any variation of that. I don't even know what they called him, Mr. Peterson. Oh, I can tell you what they called him. At their wedding, Lucy
0: held his hand and looked up at him, said, are you our new daddy? And he looked down at her, shook her hand off and said, you can call me Ed. Ed. I'm not going to defend this guy. But so the parents kind of probably took care of the kids a lot more than Dee Dee because she was working. So when they would go out on a date, the kids were taken care of. He probably didn't have very much interaction with them at all, you know, while they were dating.
1: Well, as soon as possible, he took a job in Michigan and took Mama with him. Okay, she went with him.
0: Oh, God, I sound like I'm defending this. But she went. I mean, she left her kids and went with him to Michigan.
1: Well... Okay, so I little know. brother Fred stayed home. You know, home. This is where he's lived his entire life. This is in fact where he was born. He stayed at Grandma's house, same as he mm-hmm. had been. But for some reason, maybe financial, I don't I don't know. Lucille was sent to her stepfather's parents, Grandma and Grandpa Peterson. And and I'm sorry to say, Grandma Peterson was a strict and pretty harsh person.
0: Sophia Peterson was not a warm and fuzzy woman at all. She was strict and stern. She talked about purgatory and sins all the time. Punished her for the most minor of infractions, like, oh, I don't know, looking at herself in the mirror. Chores and isolation, not only from
1: her family, but all these punishments. She was being isolated from the neighborhood kids, too. Grandma Peterson reminds me of a harsher Well, I'm sure you've read *Anne of Green Gables*. I'm sure many of you have. Um, A harsher Marilla. Remember Marilla when Anne first got there? She's like, "Whoa, too much imagination." Whoa, Mm -hmm. please just do your chores and button your face because you're freaking me out. Like (laughs) she wouldn't stand for any vanity, just like Marilla, or you know, or spunk, or liveliness, or whatever. And she's kind of maybe not as bad as the Dursleys to Harry Potter. There was there was shelter and there was food and some sort of clothes, but no affection like I don't you know what I'm doing my duty here um, yeah I got the impression that it wasn't um, as much oh I'll, we'll take care of you
0: as we're doing you a favor you poor child it was very it sounded like a very dark time I don't think they like you just said I don't think they were sinister but I, it just dark I guess is dark and bleary and it totally made an impression on her that lasted for the rest of her life
1: Well and here she'd catch this trolley car over to the other grandma's house and it was all cozy and loud and full of people and just you know she'd just ache to live there like I and she's so little she can't really ask. Why are you exiling me? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I You know, when you're trying to go to a first grade party and your grandma makes sure your hair doesn't have any curl to it and says parties are the devil's tricks. <laughs> I mean, I have been to some devil tricks parties, grandma, but I was <laughs> not, not in first in grade. <laughs> well, Lucille had to play alone mostly. And so she invented this imaginary friend called Sassafrasa. Incidentally, Caroline Kennedy had a famous doll named Sassafras. I wonder how common that was. I wonder if it was a... I wish I'd looked this up. A cartoon of the time? I, Sassafras. I, it doesn't occur to I'm anyone today. Wasn't it Sassafras soda? It's like root beer, I think. Yeah. yeah so when anyway sassafrasa was her salvation and she got good grades and she kept her head down and she just got through it until mama came back for her four years later four years come on well she didn't come back for lucille is the thing she came back because her own mother was dying of cancer and finally lucille was brought back into the family circle they had moved kind of out to the country to have a little bit of a bigger place to save some money a house in celeron new york for everyone involved, it seems like um, a nice environment. I mean, it was totally
0: multi-generational still. You know, the grandparents, Dee, Dee and Ed, Lucy and Freddie, um, the aunt Lola who had left her husband but had a three-year-old daughter. I mean, it sounds like a kind of a, a fun house in some regard. I mean, like I said, <laughs> dying grandmother was standing.
1: All the grown-ups, except poor grandma Hunt, um, really, who died almost as soon as Lucille moved in. All the grown-ups yeah. went out to work, even the ladies. The mama worked at the fanciest dress store in town um, and always looked very nice because of it. You know how you like, well, like we, when I used to write the catalog for anthropology, I, you know, you kind of drink the Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, so yeah. mama probably looked quite fabulous every day. Um, Aunt Lola, she ran a beauty shop and the men were often, you know, their workshops at their factories. And Lucille, about age 12, was in charge of the other kids from an early age. Her cousin Cleo was eight years younger, her brother was four years younger. That's the fate of older sisters throughout history. But I think are you speaking as an older sister in history? I'm the oldest of four.
0: That's all I'm saying about
1: that. Well, everyone did great though. They pulled their weight, but okay, but in contrast to the other house. The neighborhood kids were always over. They did shows in the vestibule. They, they ran around and went to get this Celeron Park, which sounds like Coney Island to me. There's a Ferris wheel and a roller coaster and a dance hall with the music just drifting over the air and the smell of popcorn every summer night, you know, like Ugh. a block away. Free movies in the park every night. If you're seven, eight, nine, don't have an allowance, doesn't matter because they're free, free, free. You can watch them every night as long as the place is open. This seems quite a, kind of dreamy, like <laughs> childhood. It seems
0: a lot like, a, well, it was a, a resort area. So it seems a lot like living your life, you know, at a summer place.
1: And um, they'd borrow these rowboats and just row around Lake Chautauqua with probably no life vests on Mothers of the Past. I'm pointing <laughs> at you. But they waited for half an hour after they ate. So it was OK. <laughs> there you go. But Lucille did have some grit though She did at the age of 12 You know you might want a little spending money She went and got this summer job At a hamburger and hot dog stand And she kept that job for many years Became sort of famous as the girl that worked there In fact And her her uh, technique was very similar To our pinball machine that we have uh, And Isn't she that? A customer would come up and she would just be like Stop! Buy a hot dog! <laughs> <laughs> If it works, don't fix it.
0: I think it did work because they would laugh and buy a freaking hot dog. <laughs> and she, it was kind of like her being on stage, which I, I got to give Ed the credit for this. He
1: did start to take her to shows in the area. So, I mean, can we give him a little credit maybe? Maybe he just didn't have because, you know, his mom was so like she was. Maybe he's one of those guys that until the kids become like little people, he has no idea what to do. Excellent point. point, And he hadn't been around kids before. Okay, let's go with that theory. He didn't know what to do with them. Well, at 13, Lucille got her hair cut in a bob. You guys, a bob. A bob. (laughs) Short hair, super shocking. But hey, it's 1924. It's not the 1800s. Okay, I have to tell you, after doing
0: all this research and all the... uh zelda stuff that's on because the show that's coming up in january i want to get a bob so bad
1: did i ever tell the story about my country grandma and her haircut on this show this was about the same time although my grandma was older um than this she was probably 17 at the time that she got her haircut okay so here's the very short version she was the oldest of a large family and she and her friend uh what was her friend's name nelda Um, decided that they were going to cut their hair because their father said no. And they were going to. And so uh, my grandma went into the kitchen and got in the drawer and got those scissors that her mother used to use to cut like, you know, how you have like chicken legs. You just cut whack off with this giant pair of scissors or, you know, the kitchen shears. You cut twine with it or whatever. She got that. And Nelda gathered up my grandma's hair in a ponytail and cut right above her hand (laughs) (gasps) <gasps> straight across with those scissors, yes, she did, looked at her handiwork, threw the hair on the ground and the scissors in the bushes, and ran screaming back to her house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to tell you, my son did that to my daughter. He grabbed her ponytail
0: and a pair of scissors. Oh. No. I know. I know.
1: My grandma was pretty satisfied with the whole affair. Actually, it probably looked like hell. But, um, yeah, she was like, well, it's done now, you know what are we going to do and so she kind of hid out <laughs> for a while and then she went back in the kitchen to return the scissors and there's her mom stirring something turns around looks at her says absolutely nothing and turns around and keeps stirring like oh my god what is happening um her dad you know freaked out but you can't glue it back on and he had to take her downtown to get it trimmed up by yeah. an actual hair person it looked yes i bad. do because i had to do the same thing with my daughter so so just cutting your hair into a bob nowadays just seems like oh you know whatever but there it was kind of a statement i'm gonna totally do it well next week i'm going next week document it you have to be more careful with curly hair though chin length i'm on it okay i'm just saying go to a person comfortable with curly hair i got i gotta go gal,
0: right. gal. like i said gal i have a woman i know who's doing it it's gonna be done
1: Document the whole thing. Put it on uh, Put it on the Instagram. Okay, so she and her friend Pauline next door weren't allowed to buy makeup. Now, this will also sound a little familiar to anyone who listened to the Clara Bow episode. So Lucille would go <laughs> to the dime store and get pink or red crepe paper. Put it in water and hey, presto, we have lipstick and rouge. <laughs> Ta-da! Clara Beau used her red flocked wallpaper and a dampened finger, but a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. Lucille. Craved, craved, craved the attention that she hadn't really had since she was about three. So she performed improv at recess and directed friends in skits. She was the one with the imagination. She was the boss. Uh, Even in her freshman year of high school, she organized the drama club and wrote plays and put them on kind of in defiance of the administration who said they just didn't have anyone that could monitor them. And they're like, you don't have to monitor us. No. We'll be fine. You know, um, <laughs> so almost on a weekly basis, she threatened to run away to New York to go on the stage, go on Broadway. And, you know, one time her mother packed her a bag, pointed the way and said, you know, it's this many miles. You just have a nice time. Here's a sandwich. <laughs> 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 but teenage Lucille was kind of getting a reputation for cookery. I guess, kookery, but people sort of, this might be super unfair, and in fact, I'm sure it is, viewed her mother as not clamping down on her enough. You know, there's no rules in that house, people would say. And I don't know if it's because Mama went out to work when a lot of people didn't, or really, maybe there weren't any rules in the house, because at 14, she started seeing this local bad boy. It wasn't just that he was a bad boy. He was 21. And she's 14. 14.
0: Yeah, let's just, wow.
1: So he's 21, and he had a car, and he was notorious, and his dad was Mr. McSketcherson, too. His dad was involved in some shady dealings with some very shady people. Although, nominally, he had a fruit and vegetable business, but I think there were other businesses.
0: And Johnny was going to school. He was going to become a doctor, right? I mean... She defended him at every opportunity. Of course, the gossip swirled around, but I don't know. The girl kind of liked being in the spotlight. So I don't know if being the source of all that gossip was terrible
1: for her. Well, some of her girlfriends were forbidden to hang out with her anymore. And that's sad Uh, you know she would ride on the hood of his car etc and I've seen lots of photos of these wild girls from the 20s and it all seems pretty tame to me from here but if you think about it in terms of say first season Downton Abbey people observing flappers sitting on the hoods of their boyfriend's cars in a short skirt screaming you know what I mean yeah so she's wild (laughs) She's (laughs) so maybe because of this boyfriend in fact Lucille got the opportunity uh, well, and Lucille's mom got the money together, which is no small feat, to send her to New York City to this expensive and famous drama school. I mean, another student was Betty Davis, by the way. This is no crackpot back of the comic book organization. This is a real deal. It was $350 a semester, which is now almost, in today's money, $5,000 a semester for someone that works in a dress shop to come up with. She had to audition to get in there. And all the other girls were coming in with, you know, these Shakespeare
0: um, pieces and performing them. And she grabbed a vaudeville skit that she had heard at one of the shows that she'd seen and and did that. And they thought it was, you know, fresh and charming. And that's how she got in.
1: I love that. I know. I do love that. So that's an early bit of um, self leaking out that would be hidden for many years. But she went to New York City at last. But you know, it was just that classic big fish in a small pond moves to the ocean. She was completely overwhelmed and she just started to shut down. She made almost no no impression at all. And the head of the school wrote to Lucille's mother, like, You were absolutely wasting your money. Please accept our full refund after like a month.
0: Yeah, it didn't last long. And later in life, Lucy said that all she learned at drama school was to quote, how to be frightened.
1: The summer that Lucille was sixteen a tragic accident happened that caused her family to fracture apart. Her brother Fred had got a new gun for his 12th birthday. Would anyone like to place any bets on how this story's gonna go? Ugh. The short version is that a friend of Fred's shot a little eight year old boy through the neck and paralyzed him. And Grandpa Fred Hunt was charged with negligence. He is the owner of the property, he was the adult on deck. He had to pay the fine and the court costs and a lawsuit filed by the child's parents. Eventually, Grandpa lost his house and spent some time in jail. And I'm sorry to say that that little boy died at the age of 13. So a lot of lives were changed that day. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, can you please not let unsupervised randos shoot your gun in the yard? I guess what
0: happened was the kid's mom called him home and he ran in front of the gun. Uh, You know, there was a lot of kids. It was the 4th of July. They were all running around.
1: Well, the family had to break up, and that's literally what they called it, the breakup. That's Mm how they referred to this period of life. Aunt Lola went one place to work. Cousin Cleo, who was really their sister for all intents and purposes, you know, she was Mm -hmm. sent to live with her father. Lucille's parents and brother moved to this cramped apartment back in Jamestown, and grandpa became sort of this itinerant odd jobs man. It was bad. And Lucille alternated between actually going to high school and running off to New York to try to crack show business. This is when she started claiming to be from Montana because it was exotique. And you can't pull off British if you can't do accents, which she never could in her whole life, by the way. Oh. she uh, So she said she was from Montana and said her name was Diane Belmont. Um, she tried out as a chorus girl for several major companies, including Ziegfeld's. And she did get cast, but it seems she was not a great fit. For one thing, Lucille was very thin, and you have seen the Outfits, which are less outfits and more what I call asset management. (laughs) Uh, Which she did not have the assets to manage. Her self confidence never came back here, and those professional showgirls just tore her up. They were not, you know, people with a heart of gold, they were out for blood. And she. Come on. She's like 16. And she lived on hot water and ketchup soup. And she'd slip into seats at diners. People would get up and leave like half their donut or whatever. And she'd sit in the chair and eat the rest of the donut. I mean, that's desperation. And very it, much so. It kind of reminds me of um, Madonna tells the story of her first years in New York, like the lean years, which I think she ate popcorn for months because it's all she could afford. I think this was the period of time when she found it necessary and kind of fell victim to some shady characters. And she did pose for some topless photos just to survive. Yeah.
0: I was reading through one of her – one of the biographies, and I was quite surprised to see that photo. I had never seen it before.
1: Well, she did get so. a respectable gig as a model in a clothing designer showroom. Now, this – okay. Your thin figure in a designer's showroom, finally, an asset. This designer, Hattie Carnegie, had a movie star client that Lucille resembled. And so, if Lucille would bleach her hair platinum to match this particular client, who was a movie star – Power of suggestion and all. Mm -hmm. Um, She was hired. She was hired. So her twinness was an asset here. So the lady could see herself in the clothes.
0: Right. And the models were a whole lot nicer than the showgirls. They kind of taught Lucille what to do. They um, taught her how to slip food into her handbag, for instance, on a date. But they also taught taught her how to stand like a model, how to wear the clothes properly, how to get that vapid look in their face. They were very encouraging. And I thought that was so interesting that the showgirls were just cutthroat and the models were so warm and welcoming to her. I guess you found her people.
1: That's interesting that you would say that because I actually have a whole different scenario. But uh, really, it go either way. Yeah, I read. Okay, what's the other one? Well, and now see, this might just be the first go round. That client whose last name was Bennett Con- was it Constance Bennett? She was a big client and it was kind of a big prize and to have it given to someone that was, you know, 16 and inexperienced was a little offensive, I think. And they put her through a bit of hazing at the beginning. They would speak in a language that they had made up and they pretended they all understood each other. And finally... They asked Lucy, Well, what do you think of all that after they had had one of those nonsense conversations? And mm-hmm. <laughs> Lucy was like, I hardly think whatever I think about your conversation will have any bearing on the matter at all. And they all laughed and then kind of broke the ice.
0: So oh, maybe okay. there was like
1: a little bit of a hazing period. But then after that, you know, when you can hang, then they'll start to Right. Hang.
0: Yeah. Okay. I, I like the compilation version Yeah. because that, ma- that makes, no, it makes a lot of sense. But when you find your people and you speak their language, even if you don't understand the words the other people are saying, <laughs> <laughs> you just get each other, you know?
1: <laughs> well, I have to say she kind of worked herself to death. All of this kind of acting big, being in the real world at 16 was kind of too much for someone. And I, uh, she came back to Jamestown and this is a period of time. There's some kind of illness that happens. Was it a nervous breakdown? She says it was arthritis that came on suddenly and had her bedridden. I can't imagine arthritis that disappears and never comes back. Yeah, Seems- I think that
0: was pretty much disputed that it was uh, any kind of arthritis. Um, The one that
1: sounded the most logical to me was
0: rheumatic fever.
1: Oh, yeah. She uh, literally collapsed while modeling a dress and Hattie Carnegie hustled her to a clinic. Mm -hmm. Well, or had people hustle her. Hattie Carnegie (laughs) was a little tiny person. I don't know that she's carrying tall people down the street.
0: I imagined uh, Edna from the Incredibles. (laughs) No capes. Well, probably capes, but, you
1: know, no capes. So when she got better there in Jamestown, she worked multiple part-time jobs. She was an elevator girl. She was a soda jerk. She was, of course, hot dog vendor in the summer. She Mm -hmm. also sold cosmetics. She resumed her flapper ways, not stealing because it's her boyfriend, borrowing her boyfriend's car and driving 80 miles an hour down the highway with screaming friends in the (laughs) backseat, generally being pretty interesting, I think. Her best friend, Marion, was her partner in crime, and I'm really glad she had a best friend. That was a girl. Do you know what I mean? I'm glad she had somebody. Yes. She got a couple of roles in local theater, one as a, quote, underworld girl, a little crook. Well, she was the girlfriend of a rum runner and a gambler who kept her in pen money and paid for an apartment (laughs) where they met. I'm just saying, maybe they don't know that. Well, her reviews were spectacular. She parlayed that into another stint in a review with actual professionals and with confidence bolstered, she quit high school forever got her old job back at Hattie Carnegie's and began her career as a model. And she convinced her friend Marion to come live with her in the city just in time, I think, because Johnny went to jail and his father was shot by a rival in his, quote, business dealings. And I can't imagine a tomato salesman was the one.
0: I think no. this was his
1: other businesses. <laughs> it's the Contadina guy. <laughs> yeah, It's Jackson from Gilmore Girls. Ooh, that's right. <laughs> Um, And this part seems like sex in the city to me.
0: Don't yes, say. I'm agreeing with you. Total sex in the city.
1: Dinners with prominent men, nightclubs, caviar, and the novelty of Chinese food, which she'd never had before, but of course was all over New York City. She was young and just beautiful in the city that never sleeps. This part seemed like anybody's early 20s that had the luck to be out and about. You know, it seemed kind of like my early 20s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, she did get fired briefly from Hattie Carnegie's because Mm -hmm. she was expected to work. And she came across Clara Bow going into a hotel, Lucille Ball did, and mm-hmm. gaw and freaked out and tried to absorb all the Clara Bow she could. Clara Bow, you know, stood <laughs> around while the reporters were asking questions, basically wasted an hour. And she was late for work anyway. And then when she finally got there, Hattie had had to replace her in a very key meeting with a customer and was not very happy. And so she didn't work for Hattie Carnegie again for about a month. But... Lots of other people hired her. Lots of other stores. She did fashion shows. She was doing fine. She was making almost $100 a week modeling at a time Mm -hmm. when the average income in America was $28 a week. And that's for men with families. Right. Right. So, she was doing well enough that she could bring her family into the city to live with her. And she was able to support her brother, who actually stayed with her and went to high school. She had a modeling job where she posed with wolfhounds for Chesterfield cigarettes. And that was a very high profile. It was a poster series up in the subways and on the buses and that kind in of thing. In Times Square. Mm-hmm. And this led to an offer to appear in the chorus in a movie called Roman Scandals. And she would be making more money. Than she was modeling and in L.A. as a Goldwyn girl, if nothing else, it was a free adventure you could talk about and think about for years to come. Right. Absolutely. And it was a six week commitment. So Lucille accepted and boarded a train. And this is probably a good
0: time to take a break. And we come back. We'll find out what happened when she hit Hollywood.
1: And we're back. Lucille has been picked to be a Goldman girl. And she said later that she only got the job because someone else's parents forbade their daughter to go. The boss didn't want to mess with it. And she was the replacement in the right place at the right time. You know, that's. Maybe true. She had failed several screen tests. It was routine to give a model screen tests from now and again, just in case because Hollywood's a machine and they need some more parts. Mm -hmm. Um, But when Samuel Goldwyn himself came down to review his new troops, one of them stood out, having stuffed her bra with old socks and toilet paper and napkins, some of which was showing, and he noticed her all right and he wanted her out. (laughs) That kind of comedy because she knew that You know, the asset management was not going to favor her. (laughs) Not at all. She decided to be like, look, I know. Look at this. You know, she was not trying to trick him, but whatever. The director went to bad for her, and it was good for both sides that he did. Because Lucille, that girl who worked four part-time jobs in high school, was a super hard worker in Hollywood. Which seems like a rare thing. I mean, she showed up. She did the thing. Whatever the thing was. You know, you want to hit me with a mud pie? Fine. Animals chomping on my arm cool. Do you need someone to fall down? You know, pick me. She didn't care. She made friends with the lowliest on the set and the most high just by being kind of self-deprecating and charming and remembering things about people. It'll get you real far. And she's really funny. And she started to get noticed. And more importantly, people started to pull for her. Samuel Goldwyn himself, by the way, finally deigned to chase her around his desk. Gross. Gross. She ran all the way into the street to avoid that situation. <laughs> it's kind of that was kind of like a milestone, though, gross. for the
0: time. Just like, oh, that's another step up on the ladder.
1: He reminds me of Job at the Hut.
0: I know, me too. So gross.
1: <laughs> but other men, less Job at the Hut-looking men, gave her gifts like lines in a major motion picture, and those were much more welcome. <laughs> she was loaned out for small parts in other studios' movies. And, you know, I think most of this is probably still, you know, someone ask friends, hey, do you know someone good? I get a couple of lines here in this thing. And here's where your reputation for being a good worker will help you out, I think. Oh, yeah. Even the columnist Walter Winchell mentioned her in his column. And that, talk about a milestone. That was arriving, even though she still wasn't a name and didn't have a credit on the screen.
0: Mm -hmm. He mentioned
1: her, and this is in the gossip column. I mean, he'll come in later in a big way, by the way. Yeah, in a huge way. She was getting out there. She was being seen. She was doing, you know, what starlets are supposed to do. Lucille's boyfriend was the assistant and best friend to movie star George Raft who was seeing Carol Lombard at the time. She was widely acknowledged as the best comedic actress in the business. So it's always good to be around people who can teach you something, especially if it's genuine. I mean, George Raft and his assistant were best friends, and their girlfriends hung out a lot together.
0: Carol Lombard took her under her wing a little bit and taught her ways to promote herself, how to network which she she was doing she did on her own and then with a little help
1: from carol lombard of all people you know she's getting even better at it a lot of her context in the early years can read like this who's who of early hollywood so we will name drop some but we can't possibly list everyone but everyone who was anyone at some point dropped in or out of this story oh yeah
0: and there's photographs to prove it (laughs) you know young so-and-so with lucille ball yeah well her six-month contract kind of stretched out to a year with like no effort, really. Tiny, tiny parts kept coming. She was technically a working actress. She wasn't having this huge leap in her career, but she was working at a fairly steady pace. She was starting to save some money, but she really, really missed her family. She would call her mother weekly um, and kind of started a campaign to get the family to come out to California. It's great here. It's
1: beautiful. The weather's nice. I'm working. And George Raft himself, big movie star, long- Owned her the money so that she could rent a house on Ogden Drive. And she began bringing her family one by one to California. First, Fred, her brother, that was the strategy because he could start earning money. And then they together could bring everybody else. So it was first Fred, then Mama, then Grandpa Hunt, and Cleo. And there was an avocado tree in their front yard, which seems to me to be better than Willy Wonka's garden. (laughs) Boy, if I lived in a house
0: that had an orange tree and an avocado tree, I think I would be one of the happiest people on the planet.
1: Grandpa Hunt, when he came, had very, very strong views on communism. He'd always been a union man. He was for the working man. The working poor were being trodden on by the rich. And due to his political views and really the respect the whole family had and admittedly the guilt for kind of having... Blown him out of his house and his career and all kind of things back home with that incident with the gun. The whole family, one by one, as they got their residency requirements, went down and registered for the primary for the Communist Party. And they just figured, you know, it's the least we can do. It'll make him very happy to walk us down there and watch us sign the card. And no harm, no foul, I guess, was the feeling. Lucy never voted communist because, frankly, she was too busy to go down and vote on the day of the presidential election anyway. Well, we're going to just park this here. That happened (laughs) about now. (laughs) Grandpa was,
0: like, talking to – she was getting wealthy enough that she could hire help at the house, and he'd go around telling them that, you know, they weren't making enough money and they needed to stand up for themselves and (laughs) spouting all these, you know, these communist philosophies to the maids. I'm sure that
1: worked super well.
0: She got him some work in the uh, set department, and he was doing it there, too. He must have been quite a character. That's all I can say.
1: That agitator. He's awesome, though. I I find myself feeling very – Warm toward Grandpa Hunt. Yeah. So still, the hard work, the hard work, the hard work, the hard work. And it was kind of getting to her because the big break whatever a big break is, you know, big breaks (laughs) eluded her. It just eluded her. And there was a point in time when she was at the commissary sitting with Margaret Hamilton, later super famous as the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz, which we have talked about her before. But there was a point where she was just talking to her and Lucille put her head on the table and just started to cry and cry and cry. Am I ever going to succeed? I have to provide for my family. She
0: had a goal. She thought she would like to become a comedic actress. People would comment on how funny she was. She liked the attention and the spotlight that that being funny gave her, gave her that. I, I'm This is not her words, it's mine. But when you find something that you do well, there's a high to it. And I'm thinking that's what she felt when she did anything comedic. So she would, I mean, she'd let the three stooges throw pies in her face and shoots soda
1: water up her nose and she just kept doing it over and over again on these tiny little parts. RKO, the studio that she was with would not take serious press photos for Lucille, headshots, you know, until Lucille got her teeth straightened. Although they were very happy to promote the fact that during the filming of that girl from Paris, Miss Ball had to fall down 36 times a day. So they're not taking her seriously as star material, for sure. I don't think. But they did put her on the road to getting her teeth straightened. She also was being
0: mentored by Ginger Rogers' mother. Now, just to say that, it's no big deal. But Ginger Rogers' mother did everything to make sure that Ginger Rogers is the person that we remember today. She was the power behind her getting into, into show business. And Ginger Rogers' mother took Lucille under her wing. She said, I see something in you. I see some type of star quality. So she's the one that kind of instigated the teeth straightening, the wardrobe overhaul. Um, She had her read literature. She made her take elocution lessons and deportment classes. She even got her a stint in live theater so that she could experience that type of acting environment. So this woman was really helping to mold this tall, lanky lump of blonde clay into a more polished. Actress that gave her skills that she was able to use for the rest of her life.
1: A tiny little aside on Ginger Rogers' mother. She was such a stage mother and such a presence, and honestly, everyone was kind of afraid of her that they <laughs> literally said, "Hey, why don't you start an institute for our um, both our day players and our contract players? A little school, uh, an improvement school, similar to what you did with Ginger. You can do that for all of our other players." And I see the signs of, "Oh my gosh, please, oh please." give her something to do. <laughs> so ultimately, Lucille did star in Stage Door with her friend, Ginger Rogers. They had become friends. Um, they referred to each other as cousins due to a very, very, very distant, unprovable cousin relationship. Many great greats back. <laughs> but uh, also the legendary Katherine Hepburn was there. Now, that's the most plum role that Lucille had ever had. Catherine Hepburn, this was kind of Kind of her comeback role She'd been so hard to work with That people were kind of getting disenchanted With Katherine Hepburn right about now So this was kind of her chance to come back Lucille held it together for the most part But Katherine Hepburn was given great respect At the studio despite being very very hard To work with and The hair and makeup people had started working with Lucille, but when Catherine Hepburn showed up, they kicked Lucille out, but unfortunately, all her caps, her teeth caps (laughs) were still in the room, and so she kept knocking, you know, I need them back, I'm supposed to be at a photo shoot, hello, hello, I need them back. (laughs) The makeup guy kept saying, go away, go away, you know, I'm busy with blah, blah, blah. She reached in to this sliding door and threw a cup of coffee intending to hit the makeup man in the head. But instead dumped the coffee right over Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. And Lucille was almost fired. I mean, almost fired. Now, from the lowliest to the highest, people actively campaigned for her. And in the end, Catherine Hepburn also said, you know what? We were being jerks. (laughs) She just wanted her freaking teeth. I'm sorry. We were being jerks. We should have just opened the door and let her get her stuff. It was our fault. No harm, no foul.
0: Woo! That's right? Ooh, hey, having Katherine Heffern stand up for you like that,
1: that's definitely another
0: step on that ladder. Another step she had was that the studio invented a past for her. Let's see. She was a schoolboy rescuing adventurer who flew a plane and played polo. She wood-carved as a hobby. She owned a floral shop. And she was, quote, one of Hollywood's best dressed actresses. That was her bio that they made up for her.
1: For Lucille? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, all right. Okay, now get this. Here is Worlds Colliding. RKO made Lucille and several of its other stars audition for the role of Scarlett O'Hara, which Lucille correctly called nothing but a PR stunt as far as she was concerned. That's right. <laughs> and she didn't show up until she was literally ordered to by Samuel Goldwyn and then had to wait so long for him to come back and had drunk so much brandy waiting for him that well, let's just say she didn't get the parts. No, she was she had caught in some rain. So she needed that brandy
0: to warm up, but he kept her waiting. She was not only drunk and soaked, but she was literally on her knees when she read the part. And later she said she didn't realize it. That's how
1: drunk she was. So, yes, we're not going to have Scarlett O'Hara played by Lucille Ball. Hmm. Well, she was making about two thousand dollars a week and churning out tons of movies in 1938 and 1939, mostly what were called B-movies, what we today might call straight to video. Although, do we call them straight to video anymore? Because No, I think we call them straight to Netflix. Okay, straight to Netflix.
0: Although there's some really good stuff on Netflix now. The OA, oh, I love that. And Travelers, they have nothing to do with Lucille Ball, but they were really good science fiction. I never get the remote. Oh, I um, watch him on my laptop after everybody goes to bed.
1: Huh. All right. (laughs)
0: It's like me at like midnight. I'm like going,
1: oh, should I watch
0: one more? No, Susan, get some sleep.
1: That is the binge watching rules of our generation. I know. (laughs) So also, in addition to the B-movies, she started to appear on the Jack Haley show on radio. It's officially called the Wonder Hour because it was sponsored by Wonder Bread, but everybody called it the Jack Haley show. Jack Haley slightly in the future to be known as the Scarecrow of the Wizard of Oz. But here's the thing, her comedy stylings on the Jack Haley show got immediate response due to a live studio audience. She'd felt this before with her brief appearances in live theater, but something clicked, something began, a spark began to smolder. Lucille was cast opposite Maureen O'Hara in a movie called Dance Girl Dance. And it was two dancers, there's one trying to be a top ballerina, and the other resorting to burlesque, gotcha, cha cha Mm -hmm. And the ladies had to film a fight scene, and the set was getting kind of crazy with everyone anticipating a girl fight. And so the two actresses came up with a scheme. They charged admission to see the filming of the fight scene (laughs) and donated the money to charity. I love that. And then they ripped the crap out of each other. (laughs) I love this. Like, no punches pulled. Oh, no. All punches pulled. They were biting and scratching and punching each other in the face and rolling around. And like, woo, everyone was fanning themselves, I guess. So, cut. Break for lunch. Lucille stands up. And what to her wondering eyes should appear but a dirt-covered hot guy in a football outfit who had stopped by from another set. Bolt of lightning on her side. Anyway, we've just had our first meeting with Desi Arnaz, and our hair is all over our face, and we have a black eye. Isn't that just the way? Oh, yeah. Well, and she was dressed as a burlesque star. She was, like, she looked... La, 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 la. Say that a different way. <laughs> I can't. That just came to me. <laughs> I don't know that that's appropriate for a PG show. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I can't even
0: think of what I just said. Uh, and she'd been dressed like a burlesque star.
1: So she was already looking a little, uh, not quite polished. <laughs> and um, as luck would have it, Lucille was also booked on his movie. And when she showed up next door at the table read, this beautiful blonde girl in a yellow sweater with incidentally no blood or sweat on her face. Well, let's just say the attraction was mutual and obvious. And by the end of the week, Lucy had broken up with her latest influential older director boyfriend. That was her habit, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Desi had broken up with his fiance in order to be with her. These are big ties they have just cut here. Lucille was 29 and Desi was 23. And for the first time in her professional career, Lucille's boyfriend was not a career decision. It was passion. We'll give you a quick background of Desi Arnaz. He was born Desiderio Alberto Arnaz Idi Asha third. He was born in March of 1917 in Santiago, Cuba. His father was the mayor. His uncle was the chief of police. His mother was the most beautiful woman in town. And her father was a bigwig at Bacardi Rum. So his family... Unlike Lucille's, was prominent and had plenty of money and status. Desi was an only child, which was rare enough in Cuba to be very noteworthy. And he was super indulged and super adored. And he was allowed to study music, especially guitar, which his grandmother loved to have him serenade her with his guitar. That's so cute. It is. And he was expected to become a lawyer in due time. The family needed one. The family, meaning I think capitalized, the family, needed one. It will be you. Check. That's the plan. Like in uh, my big fat Greek wedding when the parents decide what the children will do for their jobs. Right. The end. But when Desi was 15, he came home after a card game and got a frantic call from his father.
0: There had been a military coup and all the people that had
1: been in power were now targeted for either execution
0: or imprisonment.
1: Get your mother and get out of the house. Father's friend, the president of Cuba, had just been overthrown. It was a revolution. Desi and his mother hid at an uncle's house as the news came in little by little. They've burned all five of the houses. This is the level with which we're dealing. All five Mm -hmm. of the houses. They've taken everything. Here's this. More dire. They're seizing men associated with the old regime and executing them in the cemetery for ease of disposal. It was not good.
0: So he needed to get out of Cuba as quickly as possible.
1: Desi's father ended up fleeing separately to Florida. Um, A lot of people with foresight had bought houses and moved all their money to Florida ahead of time. So he took advantage of um, some of those connections. Desi, his mother, and a couple family members did manage to escape and they... Quickly as possible,
0: worked their way to Miami, but the family had nothing when they arrived in the United
1: States. Desi made it to Miami, and um, you know he got some jobs working at a pet store, etc. But he soon found his calling when he started playing with local bands. Latin music was a craze, a craze, a craze in America, and so you know rumba, mambo, conga. Desi had the beat and the looks, and whoo, did he have the ladies, man! <laughs> <laughs> it was a perfect place for
0: him. I mean, actually, I read one thing that credited him for with introducing the conga to, you know, the conga line, one, two, three, kick, one, two, three, kick. that He introduced it in Miami, and it spread across the country. That may have been a bit of publicity, but I like the image.
1: He toured in New York and became quite the nightclub draw. Unfortunately... His family kind of fractured. His father abandoned his mother. He published an ad in the paper. I just don't know where my wife is. You know, after the revolution in Cuba, I guess we're divorced now at the end. And married another woman. And Desi took responsibility for his mother. And he really never forgave his father. He thought he had acted dishonorably. Like, having a mistress is one thing. But you, I mean, you took a vow to support your wife and to be there for her. And the two worlds are completely separate. And to leave your wife... And marry another woman in public in such a way, it was dishonorable. And he was really mad, you know, which seems com- comedic given his future, but whatever. <laughs> so, well, he- no, I mean, he, he might have acted in one way, but he, you know,
0: he was loyal to his wife in certain regards.
1: Well, he was cast in a Broadway show called Too Many Girls, conveniently enough for our previous sentence, where he played a football player from Argentina, and he was invited to go ahead and repeat his role at RKO Studios for the movie version. And so he bought, <laughs> this is so him, he bought a fancy car and hired a uniform driver, and he showed up on the lot in some kind of style, so much style, that even though very few people very few high-ranking people were even allowed to set one tire of their car on the lot. Here's Desi and his fancy car, and he just waved in a commanding fashion, and they just opened the gates. <laughs> and there's Desi, and so our stories now intersect. This is probably a good time to take a break, and when we come back, we'll find out what happens
0: next in this love story. La, 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 la.
1: So we are back. Lucille and Desi have met. And at first, of course, they were Dizzy or Daisy and and Lucy. We meet Lucy for the very first time. Desi and Desi alone called her Lucy, which is why we have not done it. So no one, I mean no one thought this romance would last. The cast of the show they were in had a betting poll going as to when they'd break up and the longest guess was 6 months, so that guy won. <laughs> um, <laughs> all of her well-connected friends warned her, you know, this guy is using you for your connections, which is kind of a compliment, you know. And it's Yeah, that's really. another one of those One of those milestone ladder steps. (laughs) Well, some even called him a gigolo. So that's inappropriate. But still, they warned her like, dude, mm -mm." so much of a name as F. Scott Fitzgerald, who lived in her building at one point, made a game of guessing whether Lucille or Desi would win the latest arguments. I think he played a little drinking game, among all the other drinking games he played, uh, with who was going to win the argument. Lucille's loyal maid, Harriet, used to give him the hairy eyeball whenever he came over. His charm had no power over Harriet, by the way, and she did not trust him. Never trusted him.
0: <laughs> but the- her family liked him because
1: they were like, well, if this is what you want, this you will embrace him. They were the most... Jealous people. I mean, Desi and Lucille, not her family. An account of their courtship seems exhausting to me. I hate relationships like this where there's so much drama, like accusations and taunting and pretending not to answer the phone when you know he's calling and like acting like you were out when you were really at home doing your nails and long distance midnight phone calls, checking up. It just seems exhausting to me. He took out an old girlfriend, Betty Grable. Ah, girlfriend stretching it. Flame. Thing? I don't know. Thing? Yeah. Um, he took her out on purpose one night to make Lucy mad. I'm sorry. I don't like that. I don't like it from either of them. It's so stressful to me. Do you think? I don't know. No, I, know I completely
0: agree with you. You would think that uh, the courtship would be uh, an indicator of what the rest of the relationship would be like and in this case it certainly was
1: well lucille was now making twelve thousand dollars a movie that's even epic in today's money um she was making more than her male co-stars in some cases desi had just signed a contract for three movies their careers were going great but this love affair was just something else i don't even know desi decided that there was so much drama that marriage must be the answer please tell me where the logic is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well it's a well when you're not okay I can I can I
0: think I can I got this one when you're not married and you don't have that um tangible connection if you are a jealous person your mind goes everywhere you don't have the validation that that relationship is as strong as you think it is you know but what it, I mean
1: it's if you have to be that jealous then it's not end of story oh, right? well I would say. But when
0: they were together and good, it was very, very good. You know, so maybe the thinking was if we got married, we would be together and it will be very, very good all the time.
1: Well, he persuaded his Lucy. It was time, even though she said, can we just live together? And he acted shocked like, no, I am. I am Catholic. That is not how we do things, isn't it? Okay. He took her to Woolworths for a costume ring. He picked up the Justice of the Peace and they got married. In
0: Greenwich, went... Connecticut, by the way. Yes,
1: they went away and got married.
0: I'm from Connecticut um, and apparently Connecticut is the marriage capital of the world.
1: I don't know. I think there wasn't a waiting period. Connecticut. No, uh, there was. They had to
0: actually had to get special dispensation from a judge. There was a five-day waiting period. But they rushed it along because they, I mean, it was that, that uh, you know, the Desi, oh, of course this can be done. Let's just get this done now. We don't need to wait.
1: Okay. Well, they and rushed they... back after the wedding just in time to only be a little late for him to go on stage at the Roxy Theater with his band. And the audience loved the explanation and gave them a standing ovation. And that seems like a good omen. That does. Others weren't so optimistic. From the newspapers, really sarcastic. And I quote, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnez obliged the RKO publicity department by getting married on Saturday. Yeah, okay. To know. Harriet the Maid answered the phone when Lucille called and said, Now who did we marry again? <laughs> Come on. Kind of like Harriet the Maid. I like her a lot. <laughs> They bought a ranch outside of town in the valley, uh, which is no longer there, although I will tell you there is a house that purports to be that house, but it isn't. Um, That house that claims to be the Lucille and Desi, you know, love nest ranch house was actually built nine years after they bought this one. I'm sorry to say it's gone. The 1970s developers um, took it down. But anyway, they named it Desi Lou, similar to the way Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford had named their house Pickfair. And future generations would have Benifer. <laughs> mm. What are you
0: and Chris? Mr. and Mrs. Graham. Okay, yes.
1: <laughs> so they kept chickens and pigs and a cow that would stick its head in the Dutch door and moo until Desi petted it, which I think is adorable.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. Desi thought they would provide for the farm. And honestly, uh, let's see, where did I read somewhere? The pig got to 400 pounds and died of natural causes and no one ever ate it kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, Um, they they weren't so good with the chickens
0: either. No. Well, they were really busy. I mean, you got to give livestock proper attention and they really didn't have the time. Plus, he was using all of his energy to be possessive and demanding on her. (laughs) He would refuse to let her ride alone in a taxi. Um, His food preferences, that would be Cuban food, which I would actually go for, that would be cool, were what they ate. But on the flip side, he was also writing her love songs and singing them to her, just like he did to his, you know, to his mom back in the day.
1: Well, and he would do things like she would come home and it was her birthday and he had 40 musicians lining the driveway singing happy birthday to her when she came home. I mean, the grand romantic gesture was his forte for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. He was Um, a very good producer, I guess.
1: So they used to film themselves kind of in domestic bliss, walking hand in hand and like gardening and looking for all the world, like a couple in love. But I have to tell you, it was not long before Lucille started to sense that Desi might not stick around. It infuriated him to be known as Lucille Ball's husband. Like he was embarrassed to... I don't know, to shine less brightly than she, which reminds me of The Crown. Did you watch The Crown about Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip? Oh, yes. I love that. seems to be the same kind of thing. Like, wait, you're my wife. You must defer to me. And to her, I don't know, credit to his defense, Lucille even said that the way he was brought up Papa was the boss of the house, and she intended to go ahead and accommodate that because, you know, it's the 1950s cult of the housewife, and that was kind of how it went, or at least pretend he's the boss. Do you know what I mean? Like, she intended to defer to a point to him in the house. Right. I guess, but he couldn't, he could not get on board with the fact that she was more known than him. She had paid her dues, she had worked hard to get there over Mm -hmm. and over, and he had just gotten to Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. She'd been
0: working at it since she was a teenager, and he's Desi in Desi Lou. You know,
1: he just well, kept trying L- to get his name there first. Louzy's not the same. <laughs> Can you? I mean, come on now. Marketing wise, you don't want a studio called Luzi.
0: or or uh, or Balnez. <laughs>
1: Wholeness is not good either. (laughs) No, it's
0: true. But they had been quarreling since they were dating, and those quarrels just escalated. It got to a point that they would have a fight, and he would just take off. He took off so often and went to sleep somewhere else
1: that they built like a little cabin on their property so he'd have a, quote, doghouse to go to. Well, and he kept threatening to just go and take his show on the road, and she – God, she loved him. She loved him so very much. You know, what are you going to do? You're in a weird place. The Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, and America was at war. And Desi was not yet a citizen, so could not as yet be called up to fight. But he did join up with a trainload of entertainers, big name ones, you know, some of them, to entertain the troops who were in training all over the U.S. And I'm sorry to say that Desi openly and unashamedly cheated on Lucille almost daily, right in front of a whole trainload of... I mean, they might not have been her friends exactly, but definitely her, what, work colleagues?
0: Peers? Work peers? I guess. I mean. Co-workers?
1: The sympathies definitely tipped in Lucille's direction. I can't even understand behavior like that. He knew it would get back to her. What is the deal? Was that a power thing?
0: Or was it a libido thing? Maybe it's going back to, you know, what he's, what he would have, you know, to his dad. It was like, you know, you can step out on your wife, but you don't. Pretend she doesn't exist or she's not your wife So maybe he was cultural I say with a big Question mark at the end I don't know
1: Well, Meanwhile, Lucille moved to Really what was considered the big time MGM, that is the big daddy That is That place was so known for quality That you got some legitimacy On your resume just by being there This is the studio that gave her Her trademark red hair The better for Technicolor, don't you know Yes. They
0: called it, it was called Tango
1: Red, and it was a shade between strawberry
0: and carrot.
1: (laughs) She made no bones about hating it, at least at first, by the way.
0: Well, you know, you're blonde for so long that you just kind of get used to it, says the woman who colors her hair.
1: (laughs) That's funny. Well, she starred at MGM in a genuine hit called DuBerry Was a Lady. Yes. In which she played both a modern nightclub singer and Madame DuBerry. So we're getting closer. We're getting closer to stardom. Interesting. The trailer that she was given was the same trailer that Norma Shearer used when she played Marie Antoinette in 1938. The Marie Antoinette story and family grouping was all one at the MGM studio. I love it. Desi was called up partway through the war, and due to a knee injury, he was actually in the United States for the whole war. He was teaching soldiers to read. I guess there was a lot of illiteracy in the 40s, which I didn't really realize until I watched A League of Their Own with my mother, which is about women, girls, Mm -hmm. mostly rural, in the 1940s that went to be in the um, women's what is it the girls baseball league doesn't matter anyway yeah. um there was a point made that some of the girls couldn't read right and i looked at my mom like really and she goes oh yeah in the country plenty you know to say that he taught soldiers to
0: read also sounds like a little bit more glamorous than what he also did the things that he was doing was at a army hospital and it kind of sounded like he was a macho candy striper you know this type of duties he had right He wasn't home and he wasn't he wasn't acting. He wasn't singing. He wasn't doing his theatrical work.
1: And he He purposely did not use any of his weekend passes to come home. That makes me so mad. And Lucille got some news that he was having affairs again. And so she hired a lawyer. She filed for divorce, alerted the press and waited waited and at the very very last minute like the night before she was to go to court and get her papers they made up over dinner made up over dinner etc they woke up in bed the next day together that was the etc and (laughs) lucy was getting dressed he's like where are you going she's like well the public expects me to get divorced i bought this new hat i'd really like it photographed i'm gonna go pick up those papers i mean i guess what do i say consummation invalidated the that decree? I guess it did automatically Yeah, oh it
0: absolutely did. It 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 was she went and got it and then she came back and hubba hubba, it was nullified. That's what the kids are calling it these days.
1: Well, my goodness. <laughs> well, her career took a significant downturn. MGM just couldn't seem to find the right place for her, I guess. Um nobody thought that funny ladies were gonna make them the money. They wanted glamorous dames the end they they couldn't find a place for funny ladies which seems like up until very recently a very common problem and Um, yeah
0: i have to admit you know she was also in her 30s at this point i can't help but think that had a part of it that played into it
1: well if you're glamorous daming it and you Mm -hmm. do think 36 is over the hill then i can see i guess why mgm's like ah let's cut her loose you know yeah So they released her from her contract, and Lucille Ball, in her mind, all this evidence of, you know, hard work and all these projects, all these connections, in her mind, okay, I'm never going to be a star. I have failed. I have failed. And I'm sorry to say she worried the most that Desi would leave her, especially after the war ended, and Desi discovered that some new guy named Ricardo Montalban had kind of peed a circle around all of the Latin work. So he was... Desi was pretty much over it, you know?
0: I have to stop you for a second just because you said Peter Circle and I wrote, established himself as the Latin male star.
1: <laughs> well, you know, whatever it was, he claimed it. Let's just say. Yeah, he sure did. So Desi decided it was back to the band for him and things were very rocky again. Very rocky. Lucille's constant companion was her maid Harriet. And at times <laughs> she was her best friend in the whole world because the Desi... Lucille relationship boiled down to this why can't you stay with me? Why can't you quit films and just be my wife? And that is like unanswerable. Those right. are two things that cannot coexist. Lucille was never actually out of work. she was not under contract anywhere but her phone kept ringing with stage plays and movies and most interestingly a radio show called My Favorite Husband in which Lucille played the comedic, I have to say madcap, I can say madcap, mm-hmm. wife of a Midwest bank manager. And here's the thing. She was so very good at that part. She let herself go. She added props only for the benefit of the studio audience, obviously. It's a radio program. right? Um, whose immediate response to her kind of comedy, to her words, to her timing, gave her so much energy. And I'm, I'm wondering if, you know how you see people in old photographs sitting so close to their old radios? And they would just use their imaginations in their own houses. And, and those voices are kind of in their rooms, mm-hmm. their own houses. and Maybe almost like podcasting, actually, is what I'm That's thinking. That's what I was suddenly. thinking. Yeah, exactly. The, the audience felt that this character was part of their family. It was this character was their friend. And they would recognize her for this part more than almost any of her movie parts. People really took her into their hearts. When she suffered a miscarriage, and then another one. She got thousands, thousands of letters from fans of sympathy and love, which she carefully answered everyone of, even though it took her so long. She was so touched by that outpouring. Everyone saw her as their friend and they wanted to let her know how bad they felt.
0: She was in her, you know, her upper 30s at this point, and she had wanted always to have children. So to have these miscarriages and so publicly must have been just crushing. She didn't know where her future was going. It was always up in the air, you know, her next job, what's going to be. So, you know, writing to all those people who cared about
1: her, that had to be extremely
0: therapeutic.
1: Well, CBS thought they might go ahead and develop My Favorite Husband for television. And Lucy was in if Desi Arnaz could play her husband. And I think she thought it was a way to keep him around. You know, no way, said the studio. You've got to be kidding me. You know, no one is going to buy an all-American girl married to a Cuban. And she'd be like waving her hand in his direction. Hello, my real life. I know. (laughs) For 10 years. They had been married for 10 years. But all the studio people saw was interracial marriage. Oh, my God, no. So to help with convincing the studio that Desi and Lucille could be a good team, their agent sent them out on kind of a circuit playing live acts in movie houses before the show. Too great success, might I add. And I'm not really sure how this was... Supposed to convince anyone about the TV show? I don't know how this translates except for Goodwill. I always was trying to make this connection. Well,
0: it was Goodwill, and it was also putting them in front of audiences together and having audiences accept them as a, as a married couple, which is what they were, and the one thing that the studio said that nobody would believe they could accept.
1: If there was outcry about the mixed marriage, that would be the time to cancel it. But since there was not... right. Okay.
0: They were very successful in this this was kind of like a VOD with Bill Act. You know, he played his music and she did a lot of her physical comedy. Very popular.
1: So the network caved and at least let them film the pilot, which was then called the audition, um, which you can still see online, by the way, at YouTube. And it is pretty different from the show as it ended up. Sort of like Big Bang Theory, I guess, had a completely different pilot or Uh, New Girl had a character in the pilot that went away in the first episode. That kind of thing. I mean, I guess pilots, you know, Gilligan's Island was considerably different in the pilot than in the series. So you never know. Gilmore Girl's pilot was filmed in Canada (laughs) instead of Los Angeles. So (laughs) anyway, the network found it very hard to get a sponsor. They shopped it around and for half price, Philip Morris Cigarettes took it on. Though I have to tell you that both the sponsor and the network said that Desi... the cuban was only on trial and if audiences hated him as much as they hated him he would find his lines whittled down so far he'd be invisible how about it well whatever that's a problem for another day really but the writers got around it by making his act pretty integral to the plot of the show so
0: (laughs) yeah it was kind of key so
1: so they kind of outsmarted that scenario from the beginning. But they had to overcome some technical problems first and some labor problems, both with the camera union and with, hey, Lucille's pregnant again. So there's a technical problem and a labor problem (laughs) (laughs) all wrapped in one on that list of like stressful activities, even good things like marriage or getting a new job rank really high on the stress charts. So your own show. Your own baby after three miscarriages might be a pretty high number on that chart.
0: Yeah, I would. I would think so.
1: But Desi was amazing at negotiating their deal, mainly that Desi and Lucille owned all the negatives of the shows. Monetarily quite lucrative, Mr. Arnaz. I'm going to give you some claps right now. Clap. Oh, yeah. Claps. Well, you should give him some more
0: claps. I mean, just for production value, because that's. You know, we kind of love that. Um, He knew that if the show was filmed in New York, which is where CBS wanted it to be, that by the time it got to California, it would look like crap, quite honestly. It's like those videos on YouTube that are just a camera pointed at a television set. That was the technology at the time to get a TV show broadcast across the country. You know, a camera would film the show on one screen and broadcast it out as far as it would go. You know, et cetera, et cetera, So he said, hey, what if we film it in California because we're not going to New York? There's 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 no question about that. We'll film it in in California on film ahead of time instead of live. It was going to cost them a lot more money to do that. So, again, he's negotiating. He takes a cut in pay to be able to um, have that particular technology at his disposal to keep the quality of the show high and he also said we want to use three cameras up until this point tv shows had been filmed with just one now this is the early 1950s it was just the very beginning of the golden age of tv like for instance in 1950 there was only 3 million tv sets in america but within the next 3 years that number tripled so he wanted to you know be forward thinking on the production Of the show, and they agreed because Desi Lou Productions owned the show. They were doing everything.
1: It was someone at CBS who had kind of invented the three camera format, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of a nerd and his team, you know. But Desi was the first one to embrace that and recognize that and want to use that in his show actively. It was someone else who had come up with the idea. Right. But Desi was the forward-thinking producer that Mm -hmm. embraced the technology and really kind of made it standard for many years to come. Mm -hmm. So right after their baby, Lucy, L-U-C-I-E, Lucy, who up until her birth, Lucille thought was going to be named Susan. So she'd been calling, you know how you call the baby in your tummy names. So you call her Susan, little Susan, little Susan. And then when she came out, nope, Desi wrote Lucy on the birth certificate. (laughs) Lucy Desiree. She had the same,
0: exactly the same name as her mom, except it was spelled differently. Yeah. Susan would have been way better because by (laughs) the early 1960s, it would be the most popular name in America. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm a twin, right? My parents are extremely creative people. And yet when they had their first two children, they named them the number one and number two names on the list for popularity. And my brother was a third. He was named after my dad and my grandfather. Oh, well,
1: Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be interested in some creative names of our listeners. So if you have one, chime in.
0: Yeah, we should do a running list on Facebook. Just put a post up. We'll put a post up when we do the show, and then you could just add your names.
1: We could. Could we start with Beckett? I'm just
0: kidding. we could totally. Start. Are you kidding? Yes. We and Susan won't appear on the knit list anywhere.
1: That is hilarious. <laughs> so, uh, right after little baby Lucy was born, when Lucille was thirty-nine, I mean almost forty. I think she was like less than a month from forty, but let's just say thirty-nine. Work finally began on "I Love Lucy" once the new mother was recovered. I Love Lucy. It's a big icon. It's mostly what we know Lucille Ball for and Desi Arnaz. But this is where we have to end our current story of Lucille Ball's life. And we will go into I Love Lucy and Parts Unknown when we come back for part two of our coverage of Lucille Ball. If you liked what we brought you today, please tell a few friends about us. That would be the best gift of all. My New Year's resolution is to take more leaps, just like Lucille Ball did. Tell us yours or whatever's on your mind on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Though I guess with that last one, you're going to have to just kind of show us. And with Twitter, you're going to have to make it snappy. Pick your poison. If I'm on the ball, Lucille Ball's Pinterest board will be up already. Tons of rabbit holes for you to fall down. And don't forget our website, thehistorychecks.com. Happy New Year!